The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words, whose voice is not heard. Their measuring line goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. In ri its rising from the end of the heavens, and its circuit to the end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the, the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep, me, keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. The second reading is Hebrews chapter 1 to chapter 2 verse 4 and that's on page 1203. <clears throat> Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you? Or again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, Let all God's angels worship him. Of the angels, he says, He makes his angels winds, and his ministers a flame of fire. But of the Son, he says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. And you, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment. Like a robe you will roll them up. Like a garment they will be changed. But you are the same and your years will have no end. And to, which of the angels has, and to which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? 
Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, and how shall we escape if we neglect, neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was detested to us by those who heard. While God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles, and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. Well, thank you. Good, good morning. Yeah, we can, am I on? I'm on. I can hear myself, but um, hang on. I better check if it's me. I can't believe this is every week. Oh, I've got, I've got signs here. Um, let me add my welcome. Uh, my name's Andy, and I'm a pastor here if we haven't met. And uh, it is really great for us to be together. Uh, let's, let's pray. Uh, Almighty Father, uh, thank you that your spirit continues to teach us today through your word. Uh, Father, we pray now that we might listen, that we might understand these deep truths, uh, so that, Father, we might not drift or not move away from you, but that we might be saved and stay with you, and that you and your Son might be glorified and praised in our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, friends, we are starting a new series uh, in the book of Hebrews, as a kids talk uh, you know, showed us. And Hebrews is a deep, rich, profound, complicated uh, book. I'm really looking forward uh, for us to kind of jump in this book together. And it's a little mysterious. You know, we don't know who wrote it. We don't know exactly who it was written to. Uh, uh, and it doesn't really start like a New Testament letter, does it? He just kind of, he just straight in. It's like you, you know, you want to you drink of water and he just gets the fire hydrant and is just spraying you in the first sentence. Um, it is rich, full of Old Testament theology about Jesus. Now, I think Hebrews is, is more like a sermon, like an ancient sermon, than a letter in many ways. Uh, at the end, chapter 13, verse 22, uh, the writer, the, the speaker, he says, he's, he says this is a word of exhortation. It's a way of speaking as a preacher. So I think what we have uh, in this transcript uh, is like a transcript of an ancient sermon. Uh, you will be glad that he does say it's brief. Uh, it's 13 chapters long. It'd probably take about an hour for us to read it together out loud. So I thought this morning we'll get back into our New Testament kind of time and we'll have an hour-long sermon together. Uh, so buckle up. Now, I want to give you a little context of Hebrews as a whole and where, where Hebrews is going to take us, where this ancient sermon is going to take us. Uh, it's really written to discouraged Christians who have started to drift and uh, they're in danger, of just, on real danger, of giving up the faith. Uh, as the kids' talk said, they're, they're, they're probably living in Rome and they're facing severe persecution. Uh, they've suffered for their faith and they're tempted... Uh, to shrink back from open faith in Christ. Likely that they're Jewish Christians, they converted from Judaism, 
Uh, and for them, it's just very costly to follow Jesus. The, the, the amount of pressure they would have been on to give it up, losing your home, uh, your income. Uh, they've been arrested and some killed, as the talk said, for, John, for following Jesus. See, this is a letter concerned with those who are in danger of drifting away from, from Jesus. And it is a temptation for all of us, isn't it? It is a danger for all of us. I had a close mate, very close mate, who I grew up with. We, uh, we went to church together. We surfed together. We played basketball together. We went to school together. We led on beach missions together. We had lots of fun together. Uh, he, um, you know, we, we went around um, Victoria for our schoolies with another bloke, and he was up every morning reading the Bible. He, he was so committed at that time to following Jesus. Uh, in our first year of uni, uh, he went to Sydney. He went to the Big Smoke. I went away from the Big Smoke, went north to Newcastle. And um, he, when he moved to Sydney, by the end of the year, he'd pulled out of leading youth group. He pulled out of going to any church and he had moved in with his girlfriend. Friends, I, I would never have said that in year 12 that this would ever have happened to him. But how quickly it happens and just how kind of not an issue it happened for him and it's a sad reality for many of us. See, many of us know this reality to be true. It might not be us, but it's those whom we love whom we care for, and we long to be in Jesus. And for many, this is deeply personal. Family, friends, those who have maybe suffering, suffered lots, maybe those who um, find some of the teaching of Jesus difficult, or just the sway and the pull of the world has just lured them away from Christ. And Hebrews is written to us to these people who have this pull, this sway, this struggle, this temptation, so that we might follow Jesus. Now, it's a brief slash long sermon about the why it matters to stick with Jesus. He wants us to stop drifting. He wants to persuade us to hold fast to Jesus, the anchor of our souls. Now, this morning, we are only looking at the first four verses together. One to, well, actually, the first three verses uh, and in Greek, it's actually just one sentence. So we're looking at the, the preacher's opening sentence together this morning. Uh, it's possibly one of the richest, loftiest uh, sentences in the whole Bible. I want us to see three things. Firstly, I want us to see uh, that God has spoken, uh, that he's spoken in these last days and is about his son. Uh, the, first, the first and last are a little bit longer, the middle one's a bit shorter point. So first point I want to see is that God has spoken. Uh, he is not silent. He is not absent. He is not distant. We don't kind of need to search for him or kind of hypothesize or dream about what he might be like. It's not some kind of puzzle, you know, we have to look out for the clues. No, our God speaks. He's a speaking God that has spoken. Have a look there. Verse 1 says, Long ago... At many times and in, very, in many ways, I'm so used to the NIV, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. See, you notice the repetition. Long ago, God spoke. In these last days, he has spoken. See, God as a speaking God is so important and foundational 
to Christianity. It's in foundational to the argument in Hebrews. Uh, see, it's a huge concept to think that God actually speaks and reveals himself to us. Uh, one of the critiques I often hear of, uh, of why people won't follow Jesus or you know, trust Jesus and they kind of keep uh, God and the things of Jesus at arm's length is they say, you know, if I were God, I would make myself known. I'd be clearer. You know, I'd make myself more obvious uh, to people. You know, have you thought that? Or have you had people you know say that to you about why they don't follow Jesus? See, the, the assumption behind that kind of critique of God is that God hasn't made himself known, isn't it? It's that he hasn't done enough. Uh, that he, you know, that if, he, if you were God, you'd convince the world that you existed and that he is there. And so therefore, for that person, if this is your thinking, the issue is actually not with you, but it's with God, isn't it? Because God hasn't kind of shown himself enough. It's not obvious enough. So it's, it's on him, not on me. See, part of our Western thinking, our Western kind of the way we know stuff, is that you can kind of, we assume what you can know and what you can't know. See, if I were to ask you guys... Um, how many cups are in the dishwasher in the hall? Does anyone know? I hope no one knows because that would be really odd if you before church came in and counted the number of cups in the... None. Someone knows. Well, we don't know, Sue. Has someone been there after you were there? Okay, okay. Uh, but my point is, like, how do we know? Well, we kind of can't know unless we go there count them, open up the dishwasher and count them, which Sue has done before our church. But this kind of idea of thinking is what people often um, put on God. They say, well, there's some things we, we can know, like the material, physical world, but there's some things we just can't know, like the, the spiritual realm, like the things of God, you know, because it's, it's God. It's, it's not, he's not physical, uh, and there's just no way of knowing what he's like. Uh, and the best thing we can do, really, is to try to, you know, make up our best guess you know, dream, kind of make things up. No. <laughs> no, God is a speaking God. It, he absolutely cuts through this way of thinking which we've inherited and had for many, many years and approached to life. God has kind of broken into his own world. He's come into the room. He's come and revealed himself. Uh, what we know about God in his word isn't what we've made up. It's actually what God has revealed himself to be. See, the Bible uh, is not words written about God. It's, it's the Bible. is God's words to us. See, uh, God's word, is, he's not kind of just um, giving us kind of pithy sayings or uh, general info. He's actually, in the Bible, revealing who he is to us. That's what the whole, you know, the next verses 2 to 4 really go on about. They, they reveal to us who the Son is. Uh, just because God wants to communicate to us who He is. He is a personal God that wants to know us. He wants to be known by people. Uh, and He engages every part of our being, our mind, our heart and our affections. Now, this is a, a, a wonderful and profound truth, isn't it? The God of the universe wants to know you, wants to be known personally by you. 
Friends, this kind of means a couple of things for us, doesn't it? At, at one level, uh, it means that, we, that God has spoken to us. It means that we kind of can't just go and find God wherever we want uh, because he has revealed himself to us. That's what these verses are saying. He said, God in the past spoke to our fathers and prophets in the Old Testament, but now he has spoken to us by his Son. See, there is a particular place that God speaks. There's a particular place in time, in history, and, and that he communicates himself to us. See, the reality is God is not like Avatar, you know, where you can kind of connect with him by kind of connecting to that spiritual tree. Uh, it's not, God is not like uh, the force in Star Wars. You know, he's not this kind of mystical, impersonal energy field. No, God is personal. God reveals himself. We hear about him where he has spoken to us in his word. So this means if you want to get to know what God is like, you go to the place where he has spoken, where he speaks to us today in the Bible. Now this is, this is not to say that God can't speak elsewhere and reveal himself. Of course he can. He's God. We don't want to limit him uh, but I think it's to say that we ought not to expect that a new word from God or need it because he has told us that he has already spoken to us. He's revealed himself to us. So that's the first point. Uh, God is a God who speaks and he has spoken to us in a particular place, the Bible. The uh, second thing is that he doesn't just give us a word about himself but he gives us his final word. Uh, did you notice all the contrast in that first sentence? Long ago, at many times, in many ways, God spoke to our forefathers by the prophets, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. See, in the past, in many ways and at many times, God spoke through the prophets uh, to our fathers. See, that many ways is kind of like he spoke in pieces, it's kind of like he spoke in a piecemeal kind of way. Uh, he spoke through visions. He, he spoke through prophetic words. He spoke through a donkey. He spoke through writing on the wall. Uh, a little here, a little there. Uh, he was never silent. He was revealing himself to his people then. But verse 2 wants to say, but now. Uh, but now, in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. See, the last days, it's a kind of a, a period of time. It's a period from when Jesus first came uh, and when it was, this was first written till when Jesus comes back in the second coming. Uh, so we now are in the period of the last days. It's not a time in the future, it's now. See, now until the end of time, there is no fuller, there is no more final expression of God than Jesus. No ifs or buts. He has spoken fully and finally. See, it's not that the Old Testament uh, is obsolete uh, and now that we have the New Testament. It's just that the Old Testament uh, looked forward to and anticipated the things of Jesus and the New Testament only makes sense if you know the Old Testament. How do we know what Jesus' death was like in our place without the whole history of God revealing what it would be like? See, the point of here is that God has spoken. It's full, complete and final. Now, that there is um, kind of a completeness, a finality to how God reveals himself and who God is, 
can be quite confronting for us, can't it? It can, can be quite hard to hear. Because many, um, many believe, or have you heard people say, you know, I, be- I think I believe in God, but I, can ca- I kind of believe in a loving God, but I can't accept that God of judgment. I can't accept the God, you know, who would condemn people. I can't accept, you know, I can believe this, but I can't, can't believe that anymore. Uh, friends, if we don't take the Bible as it claims to be, the very words of God for us, speaking to us, as Hebrew argues, and we pick and choose the bits of God that are palatable to us in our context, in this moment in history, haven't we just put ourselves above God, in the position of God? You know, we've just determined by what we like about how God's revealed it to us and what we can, you know, agree with, what God is like. See, there's a finality to how God, who God is and what he's like uh, that can be confronting. See, if when I read the Bible, it never thinks differently to me, it never kind of rubs up against the things I assume to be true about the world and my life and my, what is good, uh, and if it never challenges me, then I wonder whether this is actually something from God or just something that in my time we've just made up. See, for me, the fact that the Bible actually challenges me, forces me to rethink my assumptions, actually kind of proves to me that this is not man-made, but it's actually something from God himself. See, friends, there's a finality about God. He has spoken. He has lovingly stepped into his world and says, this is who I am. This is what I'm like. Come to me. Now, First point, our God is a speaking God. Second point, Jesus brings in these last days the final word of God. But why is it that Jesus can bring this final word? See, what is it about Jesus that makes it so good? Well, that's what the preacher, the writer, goes on to say about his son. The next kind of two and a half sentences, he just rattles off these incredible truths about Jesus, the son. It's like he's just on auto fire, just truth after truth, which are supposed to, I think, just blow us away. They're supposed to overwhelm us with who this Jesus is. So it's so over the top, so astounding. These kind of truth bombs are just fired out and it reinforces why the word of God through Jesus is full, final and complete. Now, we don't have time to kind of unpack every one of these things. We ought to spend a lot of time. They deserve a lot longer. I hope you do get to a little in growth group uh, together uh, this week. But the first thing he wants to rattle off about the son is, be, is that he is the appointed, verse 2b, heir of all things. See, everything that God has, which is everything, is created for the son. He is the reason for creation. Everything will be given to this son. He's the heir He will own all and inherit all. That means all things and all people, including you and I. This person, the son, is much more than a prophet. A second thing, he's the one whom created the world. See, the son is the agent of creation. God creates, but he creates through the son. See, the the author here is kind of, taking us deep into the nature of God himself. Uh, the, the sun was there from the beginning. 
See, no prophet created the world. Uh, and it's not just the spiritual realm which Jesus has authority on. No, it's the physical world, it's the material world, everything. He made the universe. He's not just a random guy uh, that tells us what he's like and what's the best way to live. No, it's the one who purposed it, designed it, and shows us how to enjoy his creation. We are to listen to this one. The next thing, verse 3, it says that the sun is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. See, here he's kind of getting to the heart of his argument. Uh, The radiance of the glory of God. You know, we know the sun, S-U-N, the one in the sky, uh, exists by seeing the, the emanations, the light that comes from it. It's, it's radiant. We can feel and see the light that comes from it and feel its heat, the glow of its heat. What the author is getting at is that the way we know God is through the radiance of Jesus. Jesus is the, the glow and the, the heat and the light of God. See, just when you, like when you look at the sun and you see the rays of light, you can't have the rays of light without the sun, can you? And you can't have the sun without rays of light. They go together. And so too it is with God. God the Father and God the Son go together. You can't have one without the other. Jesus shows us the glory and the glow and, uh, of God. Secondly, he's the exact imprint of his nature. In the same way that the glow of the sun is the sun, Jesus is not a different God in nature and kind. No, he's the exact imprint of his nature. So when you look at the sun, you are seeing God. When you listen to the sun, you are hearing God. See, this is why Jesus' revelation is final. What, what else, what more do you need? God himself has entered creation, revealed himself fully, finally to us. This is why verse 1 You kind of can't put Jesus on the shelf with other prophets, can you? You know, with other wise religious leaders. He's unable to stay there because of the nature of what is being claimed about him, about Jesus. Uh, It's interesting. All the prophets in the Old Testament, you know, Isaiah, Jeremiah, they say when they're speaking the words of God, thus saith the Lord, thus saith the Lord. But Jesus never says that. He says, truly, truly, I tell you, truly, truly, I say. See, Jesus is the transcendent one, the uncreated, the the one behind everything that exists, that walked around his creation in Palestine. He's God himself amongst us. He goes on. uh, Jesus upholds the universe by the word of his power. Uh, Upholds the universe by his words. Astonishing. The, 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 the things of God, uh, nothing happens in this world that is outside the control of the sun. The laws of science that the sun rises, that, that we breathe, is because the sun says so. This is the one who has spoken to us. This is the one who addresses us, the Almighty, the King, the Lord of Lord. He goes on. He does something for us, doesn't he? Verse 3, he, he makes purification for sins. See, this one came into the world, came into the, the sinful world in ignorance about God to make purifications for sins. 
See, the real wonder is that Jesus, the Son of God, created everything, sustains everything, the exact nature, the ratings of God himself, came into his world to provide purifications for sins. He fulfilled the Old Testament expectations and hopes, which the, the rest of Hebrews kind of goes on to unpack. But unlike a priest in the Old Testament, that's work was never finished, they were always standing up, offering sacrifice after sacrifices, Jesus comes and he lives, he dies, he's raised to life, and now he's ascended at the right hand of God. And what does he do? He sits. He's sitting. His job is done. His work is complete. It is finished. Nothing more to be done. See, the, the glory, the wonder, and the greatness of this one, the Son, it kind of blows our senses of who God is and what he's done. Now, we kind of get this awesome, mind-boggling picture of Jesus in all his glory here, don't we? And the point is that given who this is, who has spoken to us, what other words do we need? What other, what, what other things would we go looking for? Uh, there's no greater word that can be spoken to humanity than God himself. See, what does this mean for those who are in danger of drifting away, you know, living in a pluralistic society like ours? Uh, what does the preacher do? Well, he just unpacks Jesus. He unpacks his uniqueness. He unpacks his superiority. He unpacks his, the ultimate expression of God. And he says, if this is the one you've come to know personally, you've come to follow, to trust, to love, how could you possibly move on from him? Everything is in him. Everything. If you leave him, you're left with nothing. See, our society, uh, it wants to argue that all religions are equally valid. I don't know if you've heard this thought. You know, gosh, and as Christians who claim that there's one God and one way to God, um, you know, haven't they, don't they say you're, you're so arrogant to make this kind of claim? Uh, it's a bit exclusive and narrow-minded. Um, see, the reality is we feel that pain because that, culturally that's the worst thing you can say is someone else is wrong. But the reality is Christians are kind of bound to this claim because God has revealed himself. He has bound and shown himself to be who he is fully in Jesus. And if you're persuaded, and I take it we are, of who Jesus is, that he is, the, in fact, God amongst us, he has spoken. Uh, what is said about Jesus is said of no other person, and so extraordinary claims, that we are bound to go, well, he says he's the only way, so we want to keep and uphold who this God is. See, I want to wrap up here. This one, this person, Jesus, is the one we are to listen to. He's the heir and creator of all things, perfectly showing us God, upholds the universe by his powerful words. He makes purifications for sins. And he tells us that his work is complete. He's the one from heaven that shows us God. How good is this one, Jesus? Why would we ever move on from following him? Let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, it's just a wonderful, extraordinary picture of who you are as you've revealed yourself through your Son. 
We're so thankful that we're not in the dark, that you have spoken once for all. We're so thankful that Jesus is not a mere prophet, but he is God himself, your son. Father, we pray that by your spirit, you would help us to keep our eyes fixed on this one, that you would keep us from drifting and from trusting. And Father, we pray that we would always follow and worship Jesus. We pray this in his name. Amen.